You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. My name is Doc Coyle, and this is the X-Men Podcast. Thank you for listening. All the new people listening, all the people who have been checking out all the episodes, it means a whole lot to me. I also want to thank my podcast network, Jabberjaw Media. Uh, it's been really amazing to work with them. They've actually set me up with a new sponsor. Uh, if you would like to help out the X-Men Podcast, you can actually... And, you know, you can do something that's not even really going to affect what you do already because we all order stuff from Amazon.com. So you can actually use my personal link. And if you go through there, uh, the show gets some credit. We get a little tiny piece of that. And it uh, they will know that, you know, listening to the X-Men moves the needle. And I would appreciate that. So the link for that would be www.coil.net backslash Amazon. Or you can just go to dotcoil.net and you see there's an Amazon button on the top. You just click that link and boom, buy exactly what you're going to buy before and you'll be really helping the show. I've been doing a lot of things lately. been pretty busy. I have something actually I can't even talk about yet, but it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to be playing with a cool band coming up. Uh, I'll announce that when there's time. Uh, what have I been doing? I went to go see Beauty and the Beast last night, the, the live action remake and uh Guys, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to say about this film. Went because of my girlfriend. And that's not to say, you know, that men shouldn't be going to see Beauty and the Beast. You know, it's, it's, it's neither here nor there. But, there, you know, I, just, I had some thoughts, you know. I, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm strange or not. But, you know, apparently there's this, this man. He was a prince. And he gets turned into a, a, a pretty handsome animal man. Like, I'm going to say, like, he's not that beastly. Like, he didn't get turned into you know, uh, a David Cronenberg fly or, you know, um, some HR Geiger looking alien or some shit. Like the dude still looks kind of like a dude, but you know, who, you know, that, you know, got surgery or something and just, you know, took too much testosterone and got real hairy. But here's the thing. This dude is just walking around all, all mopey and sad. Like he should be singing in dashboard confessional. And I'm like, dude, man, you're eight feet tall. All right, you're jacked. Probably got some horse junk down there. You know, you know, you you know, you shave it up. You know, I think in today's day and age, if Beauty and the Beast came out, that dude would be killing it. You know, because motherfuckers now have 
you know, tattoos on their face, you know, and they have like their, you know, a bar through their forehead, you know, as a piercing and girls love that shit, you know, and beards have been in for a while. So I'm just saying, I think that motherfucker was looking at his shit all wrong. You know, if me, if I was the beast, I'd be taking revenge that I'd be in the WWE. I'd be, you know, think about all the, you know, the, the, the porn, you know, you'd be the king of porn. I think if you were eight feet tall, you had a horse dick, um, and you were jacked, I think you would do well. I'm just saying, I think this dude is not utilizing, uh, his attributes. You know, look at all that pussy that teen wolf got, you know, and this, you telling me, uh, beast can't get a date. You know, he was just walking around being sad and mad. You know, oh, I live in this big castle and it's cold outside. You know, just, you know, you got you to gotta look at things the opposite way. So, you know, but but then again, we have to understand that the uh, these fairy tales are not, not necessarily made for my demographic. But after watching this, I'm, I'm starting to think the whole fairy tale thing is, you know, um, I don't think it's healthy for the children. But like, listen, children, you can solve your problems with magic. We all know magic doesn't exist, guys. It's sad. It's sad. God isn't real and Santa doesn't exist. Anyway, I'm not going to blabber on too much. Uh, let's talk about our guest. So the guest this week is someone you guys probably don't know. Um, he's not um, some world famous musician, but what he is is an excellent writer. Uh, his name is Jay Andrew Zalucky, and he wrote an article on the history and kind of the full con uh, context of the new wave of American heavy metal movement, uh, which my band, my old band, God forbid, was a part of, along with bands like Shadows Fall, Kill Switch Engage, Lamb of God, Darkest Hour, Chimera, and and several others. But um, this article, it came out a year ago on, on metal ejection and it's called Reflecting on the New Wave of American Heavy Metal. And I was just extremely impressed with uh, how how good the actual writing itself was, how well researched it was, how um, his take on it, he just seemed to really understand all, all the angles. And it was really great to great to see, considering that I felt in a lot of ways that maybe our movement had been marginalized. You know, there's some people who don't even think the new wave of American heavy metal is even a thing, that we're just metalcore bands or... Um, you know, post-thrash bands or ripping off at the gates or whatever. Uh, it's it's a, it's a very difficult kind of, you can go a lot of ways with it. But I was really impressed with his writing. Started following the guy on Twitter. And I saw that in addition to writing for Metal Injection, he also writes for Decibel Magazine. And he also writes a lot about politics. And he's just really, really smart. And is someone that I thought would be great for the show. So please check out this conversation with uh, my my new friend, Jay Andrew Zalucky. First off, yeah. I, I just want to thank you, you know, for for doing this. You know, I I you know you came on my radar when you when you wrote the article that <clears throat> we're going to be talking about and um, yeah and obviously i've been kind of following you on social media since then and, and reading some of your stuff about politics and yeah. some of your commentary on on twitter and i just thought you know this is a really really smart guy who oh, thanks no seriously um yeah, yeah. i think in, in in a lot of ways in kind of the modern era um you almost 
you know, you, I, I've, there's all these people online that I've almost developed, um, a kind of admiration for in a way you see the way they engage and you, in a, in a way, social media tells you how people think uh-huh. in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways. And, um, and it's cool cause you almost, like I said, I, I have this kind of admiration society of these different people that maybe I knew beforehand, but then when you get to see how they engage online, you get a, a kind of a viewpoint into their, into their thought process. And it's, it's really cool. And you kind of, you, it's a cool way to find, uh, like minds, I would say, or people yeah. at least that you admire. But I, I really do appreciate you doing this. And I don't know how much uh, press or, you know, kind of public stuff you've done outside of the writing. Yeah, I mean, most of the stuff when it comes to music, uh, when I was in high school, <clears throat> I had a band and we played a lot of shows. I play, I've been playing guitar. Um, just being I'm picking up a new amp soon. Um, so I, I, I play and then I was um, I was a DJ at. 91.7 WHUS at UConn because I went to UConn and uh, I was loud rock director there for a couple of years. And then uh, starting in 2010, I started writing for Metal Injection. And then in uh, last year, for about a year now, I've been writing for Decibel's website now as well. So um, that that's basically the rundown of what I do as far as music is concerned. So and then for politics, um, <clears throat> my main... Uh, I mean, we, we can get to this uh, in the interview, too, but I, I have my own site that I was maintaining for a while, but I've been coming a little less active in it. I'm mostly published now on um, uh, this website called the Foundation for Economic Education. They're one of the oldest, um, perhaps the oldest officially sort of libertarian, classical liberal mm -hmm. um, publication. They've been around since 1946, I think. Um, and now they're kind of increasing their social media and content presence and so that's opened them up to a lot of a lot of other writers including myself so uh that's mostly what i got going on when it comes to the writing right are you a uh, are you a full-time writer um for for work i actually am a full-time editor okay. i work for um uh sort of it's sort of a marketing and sales advisory company and um it's kind of a mix between consulting and research kind of stuff um and yeah, we, we produced a lot of written content. And so I'm one of the editors of that content. That's what I do. That's my paycheck work. So, uh, <laughs> so not that, I mean, I like doing it, but it's, uh, it's definitely, um, a set and I do writing for them as well. And so it's definitely a whole other world, but it's, it's good. Cause it gives you, um, practice in writing and reading different kinds of things other than the stuff that you're super passionate about. Mm -hmm. No, I was, uh, so what I, one of the first things I noticed from the, the piece, so actually to give some background, so. One of the reasons, the main reason I wanted to speak to you was you wrote a piece um, about the new wave of American heavy metal yeah. on metal injection. And mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, I thought it was very um, kind of apropos of what was going on, I think, at that time, because I had recently, you know, I had quit, God forbid, maybe a year or two before that. And then all of a sudden we started seeing a lot of the bands from that era start to break up, disband, uh, bleeding through, Chimera, Shadows Fall, and yeah, that was uh, it was, uh, was two thousand fifteen when that article came out. Yeah, and it you know not so coincidentally, uh, the article was released probably about a month or two after I had written an article, kind of doing my own little um, post mortem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> on the. Uh, on 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 the demise of the of the genre but obviously from a much more different uh perspective but um 
I what the one of the things I thought that was fascinating about it was you almost took like a musicologist slash historian's view of the the genre, kind of giving a lot of background on where it started, you know, where it where it came from and its place kind of uh in the context of the surrounding musical culture, uh, yeah. which, which I was really, really Im- 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 impressed with. Um, what inspired yeah. you to write, write the, this piece? Um, one thing that's def- that was a big inspiration to me was that um, <clears throat> around the time when uh, your band and a lot of the other bands were starting to really get big and get noticed on outlets like Headbangers Ball and all the other places was I was, you know, in 2004, which is like, I think is the sort of crucible year, you know, the pinnacle year, like when all this stuff really gets to know. 2003 is important too, but 04 is really when it re- starts to take off. I was 17. So, you know, that that's a very formative time when it comes to shaping your identity, shaping your tastes, and getting into what you're going to be into as a young adult and then after. So <clears throat> it was important to me personally. And I have so many memories going to all the shows, getting like the albums, uh, the t-shirts, the stickers, everything else like that. And it kind of went into my college years after that, uh, being a loud rock DJ and going to new England metal and hardcore fest and all of that. So it was personally important. And also I think I had also noted that some of the bands were starting to break up and metal had at that point, And now even more so since then, um, has really balkanized, yeah. you know, it, which is good and bad. I think it's good that there isn't just one thing going on that everybody says, Oh, this is what metal is right now, because that could be kind of, uh, sort of stifling and conformist and obnoxious, but it's also confusing because <clears throat> if someone asks you, okay, who are the big bands right now that are new? You know, not talking about bands that have been around for so long that they're legacy acts. Um, and I think that the new wave of American heavy metal is the last instance where there's enough of the metal audience that um, there's enough of the metal audience that is maybe not united, but that is paying attention to and feeling a part of something at once where it coalesces enough of it where you say, okay, that's what's going on. It was never going to be as, as I say in the article, it was never going to be as big as new metal, mostly because of the vocals, the harsh vocals. Most people are, when they're turned off by metal, they're turned off by the vocals more than anything else. Um, and so that was always going to separate it because most of the new metal bands had at least mostly clean vocals. Um, and so it's this interesting departure point because after that, each subgenre that comes out after that, deathcore, gent, um, sort of neo '70s stuff like a, a vest metal, as uh, Metal Sucks <laughs> called it, and um, all the the verb, the noun bands, and all the the other iterations like uh, black gaze and everything else like that. It's there's a, a whole there's just this constellation that just keeps going and going, which has always been true of metal, but it's just accelerated and there's less and less of an audience and less and less money going around, um, which you talked about in your article, um, to kind of sustain all of it. And so that's, those are the main reasons why. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, actually I've kind of written, I wrote written about that as well about Mm -hmm. how, we've lost tentpole 
bands, you know, yeah. or, or like kind of consensus agreement, like at where generally all people in heavy music like Pantera or we all like Metallica. And um, easy I, with the pan, easy with the Pantera one. That one, that you oh, you don't even know what you can get started with the Pantera well, discussion. You'll get, you'll get you'll get everyone in you'll get everyone and their mom coming out of the woodwork saying, "Oh, they're an exhorter ripoff. They were always a thrash ripoff. They were fake thrash. Everything like it gets heated." Well, but that's but my yeah, yeah. My, my, my general point is uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in in so far as you could you compare mean. a band to like people liking the Avengers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I think though that's as close as we're going to get is is my general point that even a band as popular uh, as Pantera is still there's still contention within kind of the elitists and more truer mm-hmm. and I'd say yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I'd say more Euro based I think thinking about heavy metal and what it is I yes, mean yes, yes, um yes. In, if in, if anything a lot of what Pantera's kind of uh piss and vinegar meat and potatoes americanism is represented in a band like five finger death punch for example mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. that is obviously turns off is 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 not so attractive to uh a certain subset of metal elitist um <laughs> you know um but but yeah but so i I've, I've written a lot about that and how to me it's in a way it's kind of disappointing from a more i guess from the artist's perspective because I, I felt like it, you know, bands at a certain point stopped, uh, their ambition was, was a lot more muted, right? I felt like when we came out, you literally had bands being like, we want to be the biggest band in the world. Whereas I think a lot of bands now come out and they just kind of want to be the top of that little hill. So they want to be the biggest deathcore band. And this band wants to be the biggest seven string prog band. And this band was, yeah. you know, where, and, uh, and I, I, the reason why I think it's not a good thing overall is that, you know, we don't, we're going to lose gateway bands and without, yeah, you, know, with, you know, without the Avenged Sevenfolds and a band like, you know, Ghost, how are they going to find the the cool under, underground band, you know? So that's, that was my, my thing is that when the overall pie shrinks, it, it will, it will manifest itself in ways that could really diminish um heavy music like I, I always make the comparison i don't want metal to end up like jazz to be yeah dude you know to be played you know with musicians playing to other musicians in small lounges <laughs> you know and it, it where it essentially only exists in europe in these kind of culturally um you know appreciative uh cultures you know so i don't know that's that's definitely something i've i've had an an issue with uh kind of going back to the piece a little bit uh one thing i was really impressed with was that uh despite you being how how old are you um uh this april i will be 30 you're you're coming with 30 so you know i have a few years on you but i guess at the time of the the, almost the way the the perspective of it like you seem like a pretty younger guy like you said you were 17 kind of at the height of all this, which means you were even younger um, during k- kind of the the formative uh, primordial ooze, I guess that yeah. all us came up with. You know, because you you know you talked a lot about European metal. You talked a lot about the hardcore scene perspective and how that filtered into it as long as as, as well as the um, the European stuff. You know, it seemed like your level of knowledge. On a lot of stuff, especially you know, you're you're making reference to kind of 
I'd say from the layman's terms, like obscure black metal bands, but you know, for, for like the average decibel reader is probably yeah. just common knowledge. But even me, like you're making references that are even a little over my head. How did you accumulate so much knowledge <laughs> considering your, your youth at the time where, you, you know, cause that, that, that is really fascinating to me to someone with your age to have that depth of an understanding. Well, the thing is, a lot of, um, I wasn't always like, of course, in 1997, 1997, I was 10, but I'm really, whenever I get uh, very interested in something, I want to know the backstory. I'm always very much, um, like when I get into a band, I really like to focus on like the first two albums or or the early records. I like seeing where like the early energy is Mm -hmm. i like and i like knowing about it and i've always um when it comes to music when i growing up getting into music i would always have a like vh1 behind the music on i would always go to uh, cd now or allmusic.com and i would read the bios as much as i could i wanted to know i one thing that really gets me into a band or into a genre is knowing about like the backstory. I always find that really fascinating. Um, <clears throat> a great, which is why I love the books of, uh, Dayal Patterson. He writes, uh, these great books about black metal. He wrote this book called a uh, black metal evolution of the cult. And he has a series of books that come out after that. Or of course, uh, if I could plug my editor in chief at Despel, uh, Albert Almudrian, he wrote, uh, choosing death, uh, the improbable history of death metal and grindcore learning about all that stuff. It, for me personally, it kind of adds to the music because it kind of gives me some perspective. Um, and so knowing about the different bands and the scenes also, I have, I have kind of a dual perspective because all the first, the early shows I went to, I started going to shows when I was like 14, but they weren't metal shows. The first shows I went to were all punk and hardcore shows in Connecticut. Um, cause Connecticut had at that point, um, sort of very vibrant, uh, street punk and oi and, uh, hardcore punk scene. And so I always kind of knew some of the more, some of the nuances of that scene a little bit. And I wasn't an expert in bands like Converge or Coalesce or um, a lot of those lesser known bands or Cave In or all those that, that I learned about them later. Mm-hmm. But those bands and, and Poison the Well and From Autumn to Ashes and a lot of those, they're very important when you trace their evolution to bands like Norma Jean, As I Lay Dying, um, uh, and of course, by extension, The Chariot, which then brings you to, you know, if you look at the sound of bands now that are that are very popular from a metal standpoint, um, Asking Alexandria of Mice and Men, Miss May I, a lot of those bands, uh, they owe a ton to bands like Poison the Well for the way that breakdowns are played, the way that um, mixing clean vocals, uh, even the post-hardcore and emo influences that they take in, a lot of that, I wanted to make sure that that wasn't forgotten when I was writing the piece in that, um, you know, and the new wave of American heavy metal, it wasn't just this homogenous thing. It's not just, um, uh, it. most people associate it with Lamb of God and Killswitch as like the, the, the big, and Shadows Falls, like the big anchors of it. But it's very diverse otherwise than than that. And, of course, death metal is a big influence. And um, it's because I got into extreme metal and into hardcore. When I get into something, I really like to dig into it and know as much about it as I can. Mm-hmm. And that was my – and I wanted to 
bring that knowledge and make sure that, okay, if we're going to, if we're agreed that the new wave of, her- of American heavy metal is a legacy genre now, it's okay. We need to understand its context within hardcore, uh, death metal, <clears throat> melodic death metal, um, thrash, and uh, in a much more limited way, black metal, but, and all of that and how it kind of comes together. Um, and the historical context, I think, is important too, because I think right now, uh, with social media and with the pace of news and the pace of everything, I think a lot our cultural memory is getting shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, we we talk about things that happened a week ago or a, an hour ago, and as if it's like this big thing, and we're forgetting sort of, you know, in in this in, this sort of affects the arts too and by extension then it affects heavy metal um we forget uh, a lot of what went on before that got us to where we are and i thought that was very important well i think it's it's interesting about those kind of timelines in that because now everything is accessible it's almost i think it's actually going to change the way nostalgia works like for example like i can be nostalgic about saved by the bell or something like yes because there were 10 to 15 years where it was gone you know where it doesn't exist yeah you know but if you you know let's say i'm into how i met your mother right well you know let's Mm -hmm. say i'm let's say i'm 15 years old and that show comes out and then it's in syndication and then it's on netflix it never goes away how do you get how do you get nostalgic for something that is like it almost skews the lines um between kind of like timelines like this is one of my my kind of theories about why so many you know people much younger than me in a way they almost share our my nostalgia for ghostbusters and back to the future and star wars because that's the only thing we have that's the last era of pop culture we have where we could actually have some distance from it for it to make a comeback. But now it's, you know, it's going to be much, much harder, I think, to actually experience those things. But, you know, it's, it's funny about, about you because you, you in, in some ways are my, uh, uh, the actual, like the, the actual realization of the theory that I had about growing <laughs> up in the, in the internet age was that if you're a young person who grew up during the internet age and you are intellectually curious, you have all the tools to actually feed the curiosity. And uh, so, (laughs) yeah, I want to pat myself on the back and pat you on the back too. (laughs) Yes. Thanks. No, no, no. I, I, no, I get what you're saying. Um, It is amazing because I was born in 87. And so I think my age group is the last age group that will have a memory of a memory of a childhood without the internet because the internet didn't really, get into super wide use until maybe 95 96 and even then it was just you going on web crawler and seeing what came up on a search um or walking into chat rooms and then seeing and then your parents saying oh wow this is really sketchy you're not allowed in chat rooms anymore um and uh that's really all all it was but then yeah it's true you come of age in the internet and it has um one thing that i think is interesting to explore too is you talk about how and it really is true, and it wasn't put to me like this before. Before bands, yeah, you'd start a band, 
And you'd want to go around saying this, like, oh, we're not doing this for the money. We're doing this for the music. And that's always true to an extent. But bands still would want to be huge. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, okay, I want to be the next Metallica. I want to be the next Guns N' Roses. I want to be the next, if not that, maybe I want to be the next Slayer at least. You know, give me one gold record, you know, or something like that. Now, I think there's two things going on. For for one, it that's like not it's not possible anymore in that way. Um, I mean, streaming and all that it's it's gaining more and more market share now, and it's some of the damage that illegal downloading did. I think is going to kind of work itself out now. But it took a long time to get there, and in that in those ensuing years it became kind of impossible to get as big as uh, actually metal sucks had a rather good essay about this um, talking about how there will never be another Metallica. And um, in the sense of someone that's that big, that culturally cohesive, that, you know, monolithic. Yeah. I think you and, can make um, that same argument for there'll never be another Beatles as well. Though. Yeah. Or there'll be an, I, never be another Michael Jackson, you know? Yeah. And I think that in a way, it, but it's also kind of okay in a sense because sometimes art can suffer and the artists can suffer if what they do is what they rely on for a paycheck. Uh, think of a good example as um, the guys from Nails. Nails, they all have day jobs, consistent day jobs that that's what they live off of. And then I guess they just get paid time off. They do. They use their vacation times that they get from their employment to do the tour, do the little bit of touring that they do. And then they make records the way they want to make them. And they still manage to get on the cover of Decibel. They still get uh, <clears throat> huge Twitter wars uh, about them when they when they're rumored to break up or when they get into an argument with a not with a, a music journalist, which is what happened last year with them. Um, but so it's still possible to not get as huge as you could back in the day, but still be, but still get um, a certain status. So it depends on what people want. But I do recognize that, and it's interesting that you talk about uh, whether or not metal will become kind of like jazz. Um, Invisible Oranges had a very good article about, and I think um, Sushant, I think is the name of the site, and it's the, the, the author of the book Extreme Metal, uh, Personalities and Music on the Edge. I forget his name at the moment. I'd have to look it up. He's written about how it's much more possible that it becomes like classical music, Mm-hmm. where it, it'll be similar to what you say, but it'll be more people in the room. It'll be kind of like how people go to see um, like a Broadway show or something. Maybe not Broadway show, but how, you know, the, uh, the local symphony orchestra will be playing uh, Canon in D by Pachelbel, um, Beethoven's fifth symphony uh, along with uh, hell awaits by Slayer. You know, it'll be <laughs> something more akin to that. I think, It'll be like an appreciation society, but it'll be one that I think is more self-sustaining than jazz. Jazz has become, you know, it's it's too bad because it's such great, a lot of it is such great music. It's even more obscure than that. Um, well, I think I that, think, uh, I, I think yeah. it might discount slightly the the lifestyle element of heavy metal that I, yeah. I, I that I think you. You know, I'm, I'm sure at some point being a uh, swinging jazzy cat <laughs> was a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but I, I, I don't know if they're the kind of the, the subculture element. And even though in, in comparison to the mainstream, it's small, it's still pretty big. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the, 
Vakin festival culture, the, you know, even now the, you know, the, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, rock on the range and, and those kind of things. It's, it's a small, big thing though. It still means a lot and kind of, so it'll be interesting to see that the timelines cause you know, pop culture and, or even the recording industry, what is it? It's a hundred years old. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, we don't really have, um, good sample sizes and enough history to actually determine what's going to happen to all of this, you know, in, in 50 years, like what we're going to retain. It's, it's very difficult to, um, uh, predict. Yeah. I think, um, it's difficult too, because I think all art forms kind of, they reach this critical mass where they are this huge, big thing. And then after a while, they, they dissipate and they, they remain relevant in a way that they influence things in the future. But, you know, no, nothing can really last forever, you know? Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean it'll be gone forever. See what I did there? I, I did. That was, <laughs> that, that was very, very clever. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if the, uh, the listeners will be able to pick that one up. Yeah. 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 Also so, 2004. See? There yes. You go. Yeah. Um, so, um, one thing I wanted to ask, ask you about, um, you kind of posit some questions, um, you know, talking about re- quote unquote real metal. And, you know, you point to bands like Merciful Fate, Slayer, I think uh, you might have mentioned Venom or, or something like that. Does, in your estimation, did New Wave of American Heavy Metal count as quote unquote real metal? Or does it? Like it you know historically now that we look at it i think it does um i would say that because all a lot of super big time um elitists ones that really just stick to the idea that metal died in 1996 Mm -hmm. um and there are a lot of people that say that and in a way they're kind of right and they're wrong at the same time because and i won't get into that right now but uh but heavy metal has always had you know, early on, the thing that kept it going through the 1980s, you know, you had the new wave of America, a new wave of British heavy metal, you had like classic heavy metal, stuff like that. But the thing that propelled it, the thing that made Metallica huge too, and gave it its signature style was the fact that it was that style mixed with hardcore punk. Yeah, It always had a blending. It always had a heresy that it committed by joining with something else. And hardcore also, um, benefited from this too because bands like hate breed wouldn't exist now uh bands like earth crisis um wouldn't have existed had it not been for the crossover movement like sod mod dri bands that um that took metal and brought it into hardcore and i new wave of american heavy metal or metalcore was just another iteration of that because you had the breakdowns of sort of post youth crew hardcore meaning you know, stuff where there's clearly a heavy metal guitar distortion, heavy metal production, and that's bringing that style from the Gorilla Biscuits and um, youth of today and bringing it into a modernized youth uh, earth crisis kind of sound. It's taking that plus At The Gates, Dark Tranquility, um, bands like that, and also the thrash influence of the Big Four and Creator and Sodom and Destruction and all those bands. Um, so it clearly belong, it might not belong on this in the same book as, uh, well, I made the comparison in the article that, you know, the Oxford, uh, or the, um, 
when you go to school as an English major or anyone or anything like that, you get the, your big books of, uh, of English literature. And then there are separate books of American literature. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they should, they should be separate books. I think it's more easily easy for us to digest them and think of them as separate books. But they definitely belong on the same shelf. That's what I'd say, you know. Um, and I realize everyone has their own definition of real metal versus false metal. Some people say, look, there is no such thing. I think it's good to, I would at least say that some is better than others because if we, if we, if we allow everything in, then the words that we use become meaningless. You know, I think, I think there's a dividing line between hard rock and heavy metal. And I think it's useful to try and draw those lines just because it makes discussions easier you know, um, and it makes, uh, it gives you a standard to kind of be like, okay, we don't have time to listen to life is short. You don't have time to listen to every single thing that's been created ever. You have to prioritize some music over others. So that's really what would be, um, why I would have, why I would use the words, uh, real metal. And I use it more in a rhetorical sense in that article of being like, okay, when people say, you know, true heavy metal, they mean stuff like this. And I'm trying to prove that, uh, bands like yours, like, uh, kill switch, lamb of God. Um, and, and also, uh, between the buried and me, every time I die, black Dahlia murder, all the bands that even though black Dahlia is kind of in their own class, all those bands belong in that heritage, you know? Um, so yeah. yeah, it was, um, yeah, I, I definitely didn't take any offense to it. It was, yeah. some, it was something that, we always struggled with because you know you kind of described it in some ways like as the inverse of thrash metal where you had uh people who were into judas priest and iron maiden bringing punk rock into that um but and that the kind of new wave american heavy metal thing was more hardcore kids who were you know showing their their metal um influences but we were kind of the opposite we were metal people who we were all like metal guys but then we got into the hardcore scene and then allowed that to influence so we were it was really our basis for everything was always metal and then the kind of like i said we weren't the way i looked at it we weren't a metal band with hardcore influence we were a metal band with metal core influence like we were never Mm -hmm. like you know Listen, God forbid wasn't influenced by Sick of It All or Agnostic Front. We weren't. Yeah, you yeah. Know, we were influenced by the, the bands in the hardcore scene that, you know, Candiria, Hatebreed, All Out War, uh, yeah. Turmoil, um, mm-hmm. you know, Caven obviously was a was a, a huge influence. Dillinger, Escape uh, Plan. Overcast? Yeah, Overcast, huge. Um, there was a local band from Jersey. I talked this on the on last podcast, uh, For the Love Of, um, mm-hmm. was, was a really big influence. So it was... And as what happened was as the, but we never really fit in, you know, like we actually had a tough time early on in the hardcore scene because I, many people who kind of the gatekeepers thought, you know, we were a metal band that maybe Mm -hmm. we were kind of, um, you know, a wolf in sheep in sheep's clothing, you know, trying to kind of take advantage of the hardcore scene. And it wasn't really until we broke out on later records and be, and transitions into becoming more of a regular metal band that we felt more comfortable, you know. And there's always that, but there was always that that element of 
well, we're a metal band, but we're kind of like this mainstream metal band, you know, that there was mm-hmm. this level, like you said, the people who considered the real or, or, I, or I'd say the kind of the elitist metal sect that somehow we didn't pass a certain smell test. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, like I'll give you an example. The first like big metal tour we ever did was Nevermore, Opeth on their first U.S. tour in a German power metal band called Angel Dust and we opened you know and to, and to us that was and i think as true as it was then in 2001 those are all quote unquote real metal bands yeah and, yeah and we were always kind of and when we got into that scene we were like this is what we want to be part of but it was mm-hmm. always a diff, like there was this thing of well you come from this world so we don't totally trust you. it's like no matter where we went we were like never totally trusted you know, it, it's always kind of fat and it also kind of from my perspective, uh, it's always kind of fascinating to me. It makes sense in a historical sense. But when I but for me personally, it's amazing when, when people tell me um, uh, like older generations, they tell me that back in the 80s, if you were a punk and you were at a metal show uh, or the or vice versa, you got your ass kicked. Like there were fights between yeah. punks and, and metalheads. It was like a real vicious thing until kind of people started going to shows with anthrax and DRI kind of bringing everyone together and that kind of smoothed things over. But to me, it's, it's incredible that, you know, it's like, Hey, wait a minute, this is all heavy, fast, awesome music. Let's just hang out. But you know, um, people, people like their identities, man. And they like, uh, they like wearing those badges that say, no, I'm this, you are not this. So, um, and I think a lot of the stuff with the new wave of American heavy metal and even and after that too with deathcore and all that because deathcore took what Killswitch and a lot of the other bands did and they instead of instead of mixing it with at the gates and dark tranquility and dissection they mixed it as you know instead with suffocation uh, autopsy um, bands like that and the well, death I would, metal I would I would assert that under certain parameters that deathcore had always been around. I think you could make an argument that Suffocation already is deathcore or that Dying Fetus was deathcore. There was a band from uh, the Bronx called Irate um, that was doing, you know, when God forbid put our first demo out, we, we actually put the title deathcore <laughs> yeah. in there. So well, dude, the, the way I mean it is, the way I mean it is, Job for a Cowboy's first EP and after. That's yeah. that's where I that's what I mean. Well, yeah, that. I think uh, death, the, the modern version of, of deathcore. That that style of playing it, where it's very recognizable, where the breakdowns are on purpose and and are kind of you know they they are slotted in as a dance moment, you know, and a lot of that and the pig squealing too, um, and a lot of that is um. That generated. I remember I was at Summer Slaughter Fest in 2010, I think, and there were like older, like you know, older metalheads there. They were complaining about the Karate Kid, uh, sort of like the the Karate Chop sort of mosh pit, the the fist throwing mosh pit that comes from the hardcore scene instead of the circle pits and the push pits that you see at um, non-hardcore shows. And they were like, oh, back in the day in the death metal scene, we didn't do any of this garbage. This is ridiculous. And um, and it's like that is like all over again. It's like it's still there's like that that tension between the sort of, you know, very raw um, tribalism of the old 80s punk and hardcore scene plus 
its own the own the other tribalism of you know uh intricate guitar work and uh banging your head and the throwing up the horns of the heavy metal scene and i think that's always been but that tension has always made some of the best metal you know thrash exists because of it black metal also exists because of it too most second wave black metal bands and and the bands before that like the guys from celtic frost the guys from venom the guys and then later on of course the guys from dark throne and all them they all love discharge they all like discharge the exploited um and a lot of these other punk bands that loud buzzsaw guitar sound that comes from the british punk scene yeah you know so you can't get there without the chaos and the noise and dirtiness and kind of you know anarchistic nihilism of punk like that's you know, that's one thing I always think about. I was never a punk guy. Yeah. And I feel like in some ways it kind of hindered our sound, you know, because considering I was kind of the main riff writer uh, for, mm-hmm. for most of the time where it if you don't have that, if you're not, you know, the, it kind of lacks a certain visceral, just, you know, unpredictability, you know. Or maybe yeah. we had it early on and we kind of, you know, I, as I started to write more and more, it became a little... Maybe a little too an- antiseptic. <laughs> well, the the first album, the first God Forbid album, is a little bit more of a new metal album, though, isn't it? It's a little. It doesn't Which, quite have what, that. Uh, what do you consider to be the first God Forbid album? Because I don't know if you how if you know everything that we did. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. 
Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Gone Forever is the second one, isn't it? Uh, it's our third album. And it's then the it, third. Okay. And then it's also the we we had we had a we did a demo that became an mm-hmm. EP called Out of Misery, and that's pretty rough around the edges. But that's the first thing we did called God Forbid. But our first full length album is called Reject the Sickness, and that's probably the only pure metalcore album we actually made. Um, but a lot of this, it came out in 99 and it's, Oh, you know what? I'm getting you confused. I'm getting you guys confused with Chimera. (laughs) Yeah. Chimera's first album was very, had a new metal sound to it. Their first two albums are, are pretty new metal. If you, uh, in this present darkness, which is an EP and then the pass out of existence are definitely, you know, it's basically like new metal with metal core influence and then, and then impossibility reason they, they, they kind of made their signature, you know, new wave of American heavy metal statement, you know? Yeah. But no, no, but, uh, we, no we started off as being um, very frantic and, you know, there'd be tons of time changes and yeah, yeah, yeah. very like all over the place um, where you could literally hear within one song, 12 different influences. Like, oh, this yeah, yeah. part we ripped off from Caven and this part... We ripped off from Morbid Angel and this part we mm-hmm. ripped off from Oppressor. Like we would, it was really like ADD metal before yeah. it was, it's funny. I, th- I think about the early God Forbid sound. It's like a, in a way, a lot of that stuff, you know, like, we, you know, bands, like I met the dudes in Between the Buried and Me in like 2002 and they were talking, you know, they're like saying well, how we were a big influence. And then we kind of took our sound and made it a lot more straightforward, groove oriented, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so there's like different kind of with God forbid there's different eras of the band, yeah. you know, in terms of what we were into and what what was going on. So, you know, it's a uh, it's really in- interesting in, in in hindsight, and I'm not totally sure, you know, you know your entry point as far as with 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 God forbid, but you know, do you think it's because your background is very similar to my background in that you kind of got into through through the hardcore scene in punk scene but then also was a big fan of metal do you think that kind of origin story as a listener helps you understand the new wave of american heavy metal better i think uh, i think it does yeah because um the dynamic at shows that when i would go to the shows you know when i one of the early shows that i went to the, the first few shows that i went to that would have been of that generation of bands i remember i saw shadows fall with uh actually no even earlier than that i remember i think it was may of 2004 uh barrier dead was opening for blood for blood at the at the empress ballroom in danbury connecticut and um and i think it was the record release show for cover your tracks and um that was like more of like a pure like hardcore uh thing but i kind of sensed where things were going especially when I was at that show. And then I went to Ozfest that year and Lamb of God was there. Unearth was there. Every time I die was That's there. That's the year we played too. Yeah. I think I might've missed you guys. Um, I, I, we walked into second stage in Hartford when, um, actually no, it was in Camden that year when we went, uh, it was right around when, uh, Unearth happened to go on stage. 
But so, I, but I don't remember the other order, the rest of the order of bands. Well, but it um, was it was crazy. It was Atreyu, Darkest Hour, Throwdown, yeah. Devil Driver, Otep, um, Hatebreed, Slipknot. It was a real watershed moment, I think, for that whole scene. Because I think 2000, Ozfest 2005 definitely was too. Yeah, well, it was it was essentially like a floodgate situation because you had 2003 where it was mostly new metal, but then you also had Killswitch, Shadows Fall um, on there. And it made a defense, and also Sworn Enemy. And yeah. those bands, in contrast, because it was really like the, you know, the, the new metal bands that were on there, this was not the peak new metal. It was really the end of it. So that the talent yeah. was, you know, it wasn't, you know, you know these these bands are really changing the game so it was obvious that this new sound was kind of the next thing and then you the, could feel it yeah. yeah and then the floodgates just opened and you know and, and that became the predominant thing and the only really new metal holdover was otep and slipknot which to me is beyond you know in a lot of ways i think slipknot actually became a new wave american heavy metal band um, they kind of they, they have their own thing i kind of um well if you i look, mean i think i'm, yeah. t- I'm telling you i i'm it's it's my theory, but if you look at who they've kind of been playing with ever since then, it's been Lamb of God, and it's, it was Shadows Fall and Unearth and Azalea Dying, and sonically, I feel like you know there's a lot more in common with I think with with those genres than you know I'm sure if they you know if, if it's Slipknot and Corn, you can obviously hear the the connection, but in terms of the speed, the the structure, the the technicality of the um, guitar riffs. The actual kind of sing scream uh, structure, you know. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, enough enough of that <laughs> aside. Um, but yeah, I think that was a, a watershed moment. And then the yeah, the next year, I think was was it was actually a kind of a blend between American. So you, next year you had I think Trivium, Between the Buried and Me, Black Dahlia Murder, um, but then a bunch of European bands: The Haunted, Arch Enemy, uh, Soil Work as well and yeah in, uh, in flames was there too yeah they were remember, the main stage, um, main stage yeah yeah uh, maiden was there uh, that year they were the head they were the headliner before uh sabbath the other point i was gonna make though is uh when i went later that year in 2004 i saw uh shadows fall full-blown chaos and uh candiria and all that remains also at the empress ballroom in danbury and the dynamic was there was that weird mix between sort of a riff loving heavy metal audience and sort of uh raucous sort of punk and hardcore atmosphere and i felt very much at home because i felt very comfortable because it was the way that i would experience shows kept going through that but it had this bigger atmosphere to it because it was a metal show um i mean i actually i actually was into metal before i started going going to shows but i had this big um sort of phase where i kind of well i kind of walked away from metal for a long time like in my early teens um, but so I'd always kept that with me. So I've always been very much at home in both audiences, but the new wave of American heavy metal for me is like, it was like the perfect show atmosphere because there'd be like fun, crazy, like pits and sort of the feeling that you're at a hardcore show, but there would be the musicianship and sort of grandeur of like seeing, uh, at the gates or someone like that with the riffs, the screaming and, the the you know the intricate drumming and all the rest 
So that I, I definitely felt comfortable at those yeah. shows. It definitely felt very at home. I think it was a you know, and I've I've written this about this as well as kind of this fighting against the idea of purity. Mm-hmm. In uh, and, and I think there's listen. I think you you could you could strike kind of um, a comparison to the the political element of that of of purity. However you you want to you want to put that, but it's something that I've always felt. You know that things were always more interesting when you got a mix. Like I don't want to go to a show and see four thrash metal bands that sound the same or four deathcore bands. I like it when. Uh, when there's a variety, you know, and that was one of the great things about the the hardcore scene was even, you know, like, and I talked about this on my, my last podcast with the um, drummer from Gaslight Anthem who came up in the New Jersey hardcore scene. It would yeah. be, you know, a straight up, straight edge hardcore band, you know, a, a noise grind band, an emo band. We would play, you know, it was literally like everything, but the sound actually wasn't that important. It was the the community that was important, yeah, and um, definitely, and yeah, and you got you got a kind of a combination of of all of that, and it's kind of in many ways, it's I think it's validating that not for myself personally, but just in terms of what we are part of. That bands like Kill Switch Engage and Every Time I Die um, and Hatebreed are still have kind of maintained these these twenty year careers and still have a situation where what they do matters and it actually is bringing new young people into that aesthetic and 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 those bands do cool they do bring different kinds of bands you'll have a band like Hatebreed who will bring dying fetus on tour and then they'll bring agnostic front on tour and really make it a, a melting pot um you know and, and they're one of the first bands i think that really did that to the to the d- degree and kind of understand the cultural significance and how important it was to be that gateway you know yeah, definitely. And I think um, it was very encouraging to me in, uh, I think it was 2014, I forget, uh, Killswitch went on tour with Lamb of God and uh, Testament. And I saw them, actually, uh, the only show I've ever been to at the Roseland in uh, New York uh, was that show uh, before it closed down. Um, and it was very encouraging for me to see, A, how packed the show was, but B, how many younger teenagers were there. It's always very encouraging to me. It's like, okay, there's still like newer fans coming into this. Whereas you could definitely tell when a genre is truly sort of um, uh, ossified, to use a pretentious word. Like with um, like hair metal. Hair metal, other than sort of a joke band like Steel Panther or someone like that, or maybe a really gigantic, like influential one like a Def Leppard or a Motley Crue. There's no new audiences go, like being generated for for hair, for the hair bands. You know, there's no new. There's not. You don't see a bunch of teenagers getting excited, getting pumped, and like stopping at a gas station to pick up like uh, some cheap sodas or something like that. Like on their way to go see um, a band that's significantly influenced by Poison or Rat. I'm, there are plenty of uh, journalists who might uh, dispute that with me. Maybe there's something happening in the underground that I don't know about. Well, there's something happening I... in Scandinavia that it's a pretty big thing. There's a whole scene. There's bands like uh, Santa Cruz, um, but it's, it's it's in that that's in Finland, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In hell, that's that's restricted to Helsinki, though. I yeah. think you know. And, other and, than I, that... and I live in LA, so it kind of yeah. never it kind of never goes away here. I think that actual that renaissance happened actually in the mid-2000s like bands like Atreyu 
for example, would cover Bon Jovi, and there was like kind of. Like, I remember that, yeah. And, and even you know, a Black Veil Brides, I think, is in many ways is like the new version of that. So it never, you know, pretty young guys, you know, like kind of doing a you know a Motley Crue thing. It it exists in its own way, and I think yeah. you know, um, the further away from it we get, it's it's not. You can't necessarily say it's it's a movement per se, but it 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 exists, but it's it's not this kind of massive movement. But I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, but it, it's not recognizable in the same way that, um, you know, when I look at a band like Unearthly Trance, you know, that sort of like heavy doom metal inspired mm-hmm. sound, I could definitely say, okay, that's sort of a continuation of bands like. The Obsessed or St. Vitus or um, other or Candlemass, there you, you can tell immediately there's some stylistic marker where you can tell or um, even more obvious is a band like Gruesome, which they, their whole point of existence is to recreate songs in the style of early death records. Mm-hmm. Like they have an album that's dedicated to the style of leprosy. They have an EP that's dedicated to the style of Scream Bloody Gore, you know, um, that I think might become a big future thing for metal too, is that as it gets more and more difficult to create new genres without just sounding like you're trying to do random things. It's like, Ooh, we're so random. Look at us. And some <laughs> bands, I think they take the wrong message from what the Dillinger escape plan did. And I think just by being uh, crazy and spastic and way all over the place that somehow enduring worthwhile art will kind of just make itself out of that um i think there's a lot of bands that you know sort of stylistic homages might become a bit of a norm like there's there's a band that i'm going to be writing about um for decibel this week they're called uh soul rot and it's very much swedish death metal uh, early swedish death metal not at the gates um meaning like entombed dismember mm-hmm. uh unleashed that kind of stuff you know, finding new ways to express those sort of themes might become, that might become a big thing that sustains metal, at least for the underground audience, for the audience that goes to venues like St. Vitus, or um, I'm from the tri-state area, so all my references are tri-state area. I'm from New Jersey, um, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, I, I, uh, I get them. Yeah, and, in fa- and it, you know, the, the, the people who hang out at, uh, the people that hang out at Duff's, I think, uh, didn't you, uh, you worked, bartended at Duff's, didn't you? Worked there for five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely served me several drinks. Oh, so, see, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah, have you have you heard the new album by Havoc? I haven't. Um, they're a thrash band, right? Yeah, and the well, their and their new album was highly recommended to me by by a good friend in the in the industry, and I'd, I'd already been a fan of them. Um, I think they're they're re- really great, but this new one is like very. They, you know, there, there's a, a nod to, to Megadeth that the actual, uh-huh. like, the attitude of Megadeth, which I haven't heard in, like, it's very, like, P-Cell's vibe in terms of just the vocals and the attitude and the lyric. There's, like, political lyrics. And my mm-hmm. and my friend, who's, you know, a very respected guy in the music industry, was going crazy about this album. And as good as I thought it was, I, I still almost kind of relate it to what you just said about Gruesome. Like, there is almost, like, a a trip kind of tributary feel to it you know that 
you know, I think as a fan of, of music, I, I sometimes, not that I get uncomfortable with it, but it also kind of begs the question, you know, what is this, you know, it's like, like, did you see Kung Fury? Oh, yes. Yes, I saw Kung Fury. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's great. Like, is the music becoming that, you know, almost yeah, like this fetishization? Yeah, well, just yeah. this fetishization of this time. Oh, so, you know, it's, you know, in, in a way, it, it is very much uh, metaphorically make metal great again. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, like, oh, well, that's... Mem- member berries, member berries. Yeah, but that's what, yeah. Like, like, yeah, that's when it was good. It's like, yeah, it was good on uh, leprosy. It was good on so far, so good, so what? Um, and then now, and then, and then, then, then they did spiritual healing, and it all went to crap with that with that technical drum sound. Yeah, that's and, fe- and that, I, that's what Fenris would say. <laughs> yeah, and I'm and I'm kind of I think I'm on the on the fence because I'm to me I, I I'm definitely one of those people who doesn't believe I think originality is overrated, but yeah. at, but at the same time, you know, it, the metal community is very very comfortable with ripping off very certain things and gets very upset when you rip off other things. I think there's a hypocrisy there. And I, I wrote yes. a whole article about this, about Avenged Sevenfold, uh, mm-hmm. when, when on their Hail to the King album, because everyone, you know, Metal Sucks wrote a huge article about it, Rob Flynn about, you know, they're ripping off the Black album. And I, and I feel like the influences are very obvious, but we only get angry when people rip off that stuff. But like I said, someone rips off so far, so good. So what? They rip off leprosy. No one gives a shit. We give them. We, they make the top album on decibel, right? So yeah. why, what, no, no, that's a good. That's a good point. Why yeah. is that? I mean, do you, why do you think there's that hypocrisy and, and they don't? You know, I I know my theories, but I don't know. It's something. That I think me. um what what might be the case is that maybe because it's so <clears throat> it's giving a if you're ripping off the black album, you're ripping off the most well-known, commercially successful uh, heavy metal album of all time. Probably the most commercially successful rock, just rock music album of all time, other than Led Zeppelin IV. It's the biggest selling album in America since 1991. Yes. All genres. All genres, so it's pretty nuts. So other than Led Zeppelin IV, and maybe, I I think it may have even outsold Back in Black by, by a certain number of thousands. Um, it's in the. It's in. I'm sure it's in the. Uh, in the it's neighborhood. It's up there. Yeah, and if you're, I maybe if like you're ripping off that, maybe it feels like it feels cheap to do that. It's like, oh well, this is obviously going to be success. Like so, like it feels maybe to some people, it feels like a cash in. I mean, I don't get worked up about A7X. I actually haven't really been into them since uh, City of Evil because mm-hmm. actually back then I was I got all elitist about. I was like, oh, what's all this? There's no more riffs and breakdowns. I didn't realize that apparently he had. He had blown out his vocal cords. M. Shadows had blown out his vocal cords. I think that's what happened. And so he couldn't do the screaming as much anymore. I don't remember. I mean, he, he, he said that. I'll be God forbid took Avenged Sevenfold out on one of their first tours in 2002. Yeah. And I'll say this. I would tell them this to their face. They weren't good at being heavy. Like, they were not. Like, the tour was us bleeding through Avenged Sevenfold. And yeah. they seemed like a rock punk band who... Trying was, to make metalcore. Yeah, it was trying to be heavy because that that's what the scene they were in. You know, they were in the scene with 18 Visions and Atreyu. Yeah. And they, that didn't, when he screamed, it didn't sound natural. It sounded natural when he sang. It sounded natural when they just, you know, they did their, 
you know, kind of up-tempo, thrashy, kind of uh, melodic punk stuff mixed with... You know, so, so to me, I you know, to me, they... Even though I, I think Waking the Fallen is amazing, um, I yeah, think yeah. City of Evil, I, you know, I think the self-titled might even be my favorite record, the, the yeah. album after City of Evil. So, mm-hmm. you know, there obviously bands that get successful like that are just going to piss. And I'm not hot, and I'm in no way hostile to them. And yeah. actually, and, and when it comes to like gateway bands, I'm glad they exist because they are they came out of the new wave of American heavy metal and they got pretty big uh, in comparison to a lot of the other bands and. Huge, actually. I and think they're they a could, new wave band. I think yeah, they are. They, yeah, and they definitely are. And they they could carry pretty well sized venues as the headliner. They're without, an arena band. Yeah, they could they can play arenas without having to anchor themselves with a corn or a slipknot or one of those bands to give to pack the to pack the seats for them. You know? So it's it's a good thing that they exist in that way. But um I think uh with the with who to choose to rip off and stuff it might be because they ripped off something so successful that maybe it just felt cheap whereas if you're ripping off something that's already very underground in perspective it's like oh sweet you know um maybe it's a little different i mean if you like tons of bands that are on moribund records they're basically all ripping off the the golden era of like dark throne and gorgoroth and emperor and profanatica and like all those bands and not that I'm hostile to any of the the more uh, records bands anyway, but it's they they get yeah it's true. There's a different standard maybe because ripping off an album like the Black Album feels like such like an obvious and cynical uh, cash in. But here's so, the, but here's here's my point. Yeah, no yeah. one no one does it. Like I said, yeah. where, where's the fifty bands that sound like the Black Album? I said the the only bands like like recent bands besides Avenged Sevenfold that that were where modern, you know, nineties and forward Metallica was an obvious influence was Volbeat and and believe it or not, Nickelback. Like yeah. where like I was like in those bands you I actually hear more like load and reload than I hear um uh the the black album, but it's kind of this thing that like I said, it's so obvious that no one thought to do it. No one in metal did. <laughs> I think. The... Uh, I think. I think with the Black Album, because it got so big and spread throughout U.S. pop culture so much. Um, though 1991 is an interesting year. I'll get to that in a second. It exploded so much that I think it influenced more rock bands than metal bands. The Black Album did. But I what's would, the rock band? That. Like I said, I brought up Nickelback, but what are the other I, rock I think, bands that, I, I that think sound like it, Black Album? It could be Nickelback and other bands. Uh, like that as far as the mid-range sort of guitar sound so and the sort of the, that the guitar sound and the pacing it's so a pacing of a song like wherever i may roam uh rather than holier than thou um but I, and i don't have a lot of the other band names off the tip of my tongue but one thing i think is always interesting too is is that um the black album it, just for for thrash and for heavy metal it's funny on 91 is just this and it gets back to what I was talking about with, um, you know, I love it all. I would be so pumped back in the day. Um, you know, I, I watch interviews, uh, and get thrashed, Carrie King and all the other guys, they talk about how they did the clash of the Titans tour with Megadeth, uh, Anthrax and Slayer and with Alice in Chains opening. Yeah. Now to me, those four bands touring together sounds like heaven, but back then, because it mattered what tribe you were a part of, um, Alice in Chains got bottles thrown at them. 
and but, but me, that's because they were new though like i oh, saw yeah, oh, yeah. i saw deftones open for white zombie and pantera and it was the same thing yeah, and yeah. it was only because they were new if you fast forward two years and everyone knows them well they'd probably be headlining <laughs> but yeah. um yeah. you know but i think you like it's you take any unknown band that or like another example system of a down opening for slayer yeah. on their first album when they were brand new same thing you know i actually i went to that show but i missed this moment down but i imagine they did not have an easy go of it but i think it has more to do with their people not knowing them but then the even though the tribal thing is it is a factor i'm not gonna not gonna that lie. would have been that would have been the diabolus era wouldn't it mm-hmm. Yep, that was yeah. it. It was Clutch. It was Slayer, Clutch, uh, System of Down. It was like an American Records, basically, tour. Kerry yeah. um, King said that, uh, I think in another interview, he said, uh, yeah, that's our turbo. So. <laughs> but there's some actually some... Well, one of my favorite sounding uh, Slayer records, and there is about four or five really good songs on that record. It was just the way, yeah. they, the way they... You know, the song they put out first, you know, State of Mind, I think, is actually is might not even be that well represented on the record like there's probably more traditional slayer things on that record than i think we of remember. course yeah um like this uh bitter peace one of my one of my what's one of my favorite slayer songs yeah um so i want to ask you one more question uh before before i let you go and and it kind of put a uh bow on this whole new wave american heavy metal thing and it kind of relates i think what we just talked about do you think that the ambition of the new wave of American heavy metal has something to do with its demise where I, where, you know, you kind of brought up the, the point about nails, how, well, they didn't have to, you know, they don't have to make a living off their band. So they're willing to, you know, kind of be uncompromised musically. Whereas it's true. The bands, you know, all of us bands were making a living off our band and we were always trying to get to that next notch you know mm-hmm. I, just, I just wanted to know if you had any feedback on that or, or anything i don't know if it's a demise of the genre because the, the genre in a way it actually in a way it really hasn't demised because it's um when you hear a band like uh bands that have retained sort of their popularity at least among the metal website reading community like a uh, born of osiris they just put out uh, a new record that's basically a redo of their first record mm-hmm. um and you could hear all the new wave of american heavy metal influences in that and all the sumerian uh records bands which are actually now they're all pretty old now too um all the, all the bands that used to dominate the summer slaughter tour um and those bands and a lot of the others the the breakdowns the riffing styles the cadence of when certain song parts come in that's all still very much alive and around and the fact that there are legacy bands kind of speaks to it's you know the fact that i think it'll a lot of the bands will endure in that way um but i think that i don't know that ambition really changed it i think just a, a the 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 times themselves kind of changed things mm-hmm. uh the the, the the evolution of the music industry, the evolution of media, and then, of course, like we I said at the beginning, the the balkanization of heavy of the metal audience and metal genres um, that sort of fits along with the rest of music. Like rock music now is so segmented, so balkanized. There are, there are very few bands that could claim to be. There are some big like um, 
like radio rock bands, but they don't get the attention that sort of um, that bands in the early 1990s or even the early 2000s would have gotten. Um, and so there's no galvanizing sound like that. And that's the same with metal. And I think that the viability of the bands and the and being able to just keep on generating it um, was hurt because of that. And scenes come and go and scenes change. You know, if you went to a VFW back in 2002, 2003, you'd hear bands like uh, like you guys or like the Red Chord or um, or still even at that time, bands like Cave In, Shy Halud mm-hmm. and a lot of them. Um, but, you know, eventually new bands come through, new audiences start hanging out at the shows. Kids go to college, kids stop listening, people get out of the music and stuff. And I think it was more of a natural thing. And by 2007, I think it got as far as it was going to go, really, because Killswitch had a gold record, Lamb of God almost had one. They have one um, now. It actually, once they included yeah, the now, streaming, they... Uh, yeah, now it, it got gold. Yeah. Ashes of the Wake, I'm guessing it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, though, I mean, Sacrament got pretty close, too. But And between The Buried and Me and a lot of these other bands, they made these big stylistic triumphs. Um, but, you know, and then so, so it goes. Uh, like with the original thrash scene, you know, <clears throat> you had a year like 1986, which would be a big artistic year. <clears throat> you had 1991, which would be the big commercial year. And then things change. People move on and bands break up. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a natural cycle. And then later on, they become legacy acts because new generations of people get into it. And I, I think that'll happen for a lot of uh, for a lot of the new wave of American heavy metal bands. I think a lot of the, the best ones will, I think, uh, and, you, and you have it happening now. I mean, Killswitch is just about to go on tour with Anthrax. Um, Lamb of God, I think, is going on tour soon as well. Slayer and Behemoth. Yeah, I mean, just, you know. Now, the, the big thrash bands... Other than Metallica, they're not as big as far as legacy acts are concerned anymore. Like they're going to be playing at um, at uh, Madison Square Garden, but they're going to be playing the theater at Madison Square Garden. Whereas well, but, they're not, they're not even playing Half Deck anymore of uh, the, the arena like they used to. And so you know, so that kind of shows how things are kind of condensing a little bit. Well, keep in mind that was one tour that they got to do that. That that, that wasn't really representative. Like I've gone back and looked at at numbers of. You know, a band like Slayer's actually done probably better in like the two, since the two pretty much since uh, Dave Lombardo came back into the band in the mid two thousands. They've been at a pretty high level. On Diabolus, oh, they, were, they yeah. were doing clubs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, um, you know, it's 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 really incredible to see what those bands have done with their careers. You know how you know like you know people forget you know what. Uh, Judas Priest was doing when Rob Halford was out of the band, what Iron Maiden was doing when Bruce Dickinson was out of the band, you know, how uh, Megadeth have has had their ups and downs with kind of the their creative peaks and valleys. And and it's a testament, I think, to no pun intended, to Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I got it. <laughs> see, see? Uh, it's a testament to how keenly metalheads pay attention to the work the bands are doing so if like yes. if you put out a bad record you get punished for it and then it and then conversely if you put out a good record or a great record it can save your career and you can look at 
what Machine Head did creatively to resurrect their career, what Carcass did with um, their comeback album. Um, mm-hmm. That, that, was a great, that was a great album, dude. It's it's incredible. Surgical Steel, Surgical Steel is so good. Right, right, yeah. right. It's 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 right up there. I think with their with their greatest work, and it's it's amazing. You know, for someone like me who never thought I'd get another Carcass record, I never thought I would get another At the Gates record, and to have it actually be really good, and then all of a sudden, especially for At the Gates, I mean, the last time they toured the U.S. before uh, they broke up, you know, they weren't. They were not a big band. They were not very popular. No. So it's uh, the next time, time I'm seeing them, they're you know playing in front of 2,400 people in at the Wiltern in L.A. And you're like, well, I guess uh, <laughs> I guess this thing finally caught on. Yeah. Um, but no, it's um, it's well, one I, I think it's encouraging to to kind of hear that because I think being someone who's in the scene, in many ways, we have the worst perspective for understanding what it all kind of means you know the bigger picture so that's that's one of the reasons why i really loved your article and i really appreciate that you that you wrote it because i think in many ways like i said i think a lot of the elitist sects of uh the metal community maybe didn't take our um you know that that eras as seriously you know and and to kind of give it some some almost kind of academic context to it i think was is is helpful you know and, and definitely was it was good good to hear yeah, I mean, it was really important to me to write that uh, to write that article. Um, actually, I worked on it for a very long time. There was actually a couple versions of it. There was one that <laughs> it was like tw- it was a version that was maybe twice as long. And Rob was like, "Dude, you need to cut this down." <laughs> like I really went. I you know I just kept going and going because I just had you know because when it's a scene that's part of your formative experiences, you could just go on forever. You know, do you, do you um, um, did you ever think about writing a book or putting some of this down in a more, you know, maybe even beyond just uh, that scene, but just other types of music you're interested in? Um, I've given it some thought. Um, I think I would want to keep on going for a while with what I'm doing with injection and decibel to kind of, you know, get better and better at it and build up more of a platform because I would want to be able to put the book out but i would want to be able to have enough people be like oh i know who he is and i care about what he has to say um i would want it to be you know more than just uh like you said about aspirations i would want it to be a successful book you know and so i um i've thought about it but i think i was really happy that that article like just got out there too um and it got tons of comments uh, a lot, a lot of positive ones, a fair amount of negative ones, and I'm glad. I'm, if if it's something that's worth disagreeing about, um, then it was something worth writing. I think. Well, I think um, the only disagreement from what I saw from the comments was these bands were boring and they sucked. So it's 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 just more yes. like a, a preference thing where, like, even if I let's say, and I I like new metal fine, like I actually enjoy it. But if I even if I let's say I didn't like new metal, but I read a really in depth article on what it all meant. It's still if if it's well written and informative and and gives me new insight. It's still going to be interesting, you know. D- you know, despite whether you think the bands were great or not, because even if you don't think the bands are great, you can't deny the impact that was made. Yeah, well, it actually, Decibel had a great article about that on the website on the website at one point. Um, though I think it was just they they did it all for the Nookie, the rise and fall of uh of new metal, and it was 
of, it was critical of new metal other than and it did it gave those sort of typical um exceptions to bands like slipknot and deftones and all that and but it was even-handed enough where you could say okay it's a historical kind of piece but um yeah i'm glad that uh i'm glad that you liked the article i'm glad that a lot of other people did um and i was trying to make the case that and i named some of the other bands that i named because i'm now at this point in my listening uh habits i'm very much of the black metal death metal doom metal sort of um the elitist strain what they would sort of subscribe to um and and i want to make the point like hey now this this music is still great and not just because it was an entry level for me for into a lot of more extreme sounds it's great music on its own terms I think um, it's important to point that out. It's like, oh, because a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, those are the bands that I was into when I was a teenager. It got me into the music, and I appreciate it because of that. And it's like, wait a minute, the, the, the all the don't forget about all the great riffs and lyrics and everything else that was in the music itself. It was also great because of that, not just because it got you into the music, not just because it got a lot of other people into hardcore, death metal, black metal, and all of that. Um, I think that was really important too, like. Gone Forever is a great record. Jane Doe is a great record. As a Palace is Burn is a classic. Um, End of Heartache, uh, Art of Balance, and the list just keeps going. Um, Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, I think time will only tell, you know, with, um, because God forbid didn't, you know, necessarily have the quite the success as some of those bands that are, that are still active. I think it's, you know, it's always difficult to have a metric to understand what the impact was because sometimes you don't know if you're one of those bands that you were a blip on the map and you were important to people for a moment, but then you kind of got forgotten or if it's something that's more sustaining. And that's kind of, you know, why I, you know, I haven't been too eager on the, um, the, 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 the reunion <laughs> kind of t- type thing because it's, it's not, unless there's a demand for it, I'm not super interested in kind of rekindling something, um, that's there or not but hey man i really well, want well, to hey, go ahead well, one thing one thing uh to give you some uh some hope some optimism for you is uh take a band like repulsion who were never a huge band they were very influential but they never got huge they never did a lot of tours they just had that one album horrified but every other year they play maryland death fest and people love them there and they're able to play those songs people love them and they uh, and they have a great legacy because of that. And in a lot of ways, people would think they were just a blip. Hey, Siege, people think uh, would might have thought of them as just a blip on the map. They're playing Maryland Death Fest this year, and everyone loves them. And um, uh, Thomas Gabriel Warrior, um, he lo- he's always astounded by the fact that people now buy Hellhammer shirts. Hellhammer was panned back in the 1980s. They were thought of as a joke to the point where he and martin eric ain were like we need to change our name to celtic frost and completely disassociate ourselves and so all i would say to you is uh you know never say never that people won't circle back at some point to to god forbid and say or and this goes for any other band and say hey these guys are sick i want to see them play you know i saw you guys at new england metal and hardcore i think it was in 2011 and I also saw you at the show that the guys from Metal Sucks did, uh, the Metal Suck Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, not the best name in the world, but uh, that it was you guys, Municipal Waste. Um, uh, today is the day, 
and a bunch of other bands yeah, and we, it was we, great so no we that was i thought we killed that show that was actually really really great that was one of the last yeah. times you played new york that was awesome yeah. um no, i mean no, that, i, I that's, I appreciate that's my message it, for you guys, though. So. Yeah, like I said, I my main thing is if I'm gonna do it, it's got to be for the right reasons. I don't want it. Got it. I don't want it to be a cash grab. Don't want it to be like a doing it for old times' sake. You know, I, I want it. it. You know, the energy has to be has to be right, and it has to just just make make sense of the the thing. I think on the tail end of the band um, that I never wanted to engage in was the act of like a desperate band. You know, a band that, like... Because mm-hmm. you see these, you know, these people where they don't have anything else. The band is the one kind of shining light of that, you know, and so sometimes... And not, get, not, every, not everybody's lucky enough to get a big documentary made about them like Anvil, you know? So. Yeah, but, that, but like I said, I look at Anvil and that's like a, a cautionary <laughs> tale. It's not... Yes, dude. It's not something to, to strive for. That was exactly what I don't... I didn't want to become... And it makes it easier to walk away when you see something yeah. like that. In my opinion, you know, no, yeah. no, no disrespect to those guys, but it's it's not the lifestyle uh, I envisioned for myself. But um, hey, man, I really want to thank you for for coming on here. I actually wanted to get into some politics, but this ended up kind of going going a little late. Um, so maybe we can just do like a, an all politics uh, episode because I, I I think you have some you write some really really smart uh, angles about stuff you know you're a libertarian right um i would say yeah left-leaning libertarian um it's complicated as all things are well that's well well, but that's what i like about it is that it Mm -hmm. you know you know there's so many when it comes to uh political discourse and how people engage online it's it's a lot of um you know fluff and fire and and uh i i like seeing people that you know, seem relatively objective and calm and, you know, and you can, it seems like you can kind of give it to all sides, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you're, you know, and, and I like the most objective reasoning possible. So we'll, uh, you know, maybe at a later date, if there's some big event, you know, maybe we can do a whole, a whole, whole politics podcast because, uh, you're definitely as, uh, anytime, man. Yeah. And you're more knowledgeable than me about music and you're probably more knowledgeable than me on, uh, politics and history so i can i can learn something there as well um if people want to find your your stuff where do they uh find you as far as websites uh online twitter uh you can find me on uh uh, decibel i publish uh, my column is on every friday at noon um on the decibel website Uh, i'm just on the web for a portion for the moment and then metal injection um I was a little less frequently there now, but uh, I still publish every once in a while. Uh, if there's an article uh, about Dark Thrones under a funeral moon, that should be out soon if it's not out already. Um, so there's that. And then about monthly, I write for uh, – it's uh, FEE.org. It's uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. So that's, uh, that's where people can find me.
I just felt like playing some, God forbid, my ex-band. I am the X-Man. That is my ex-band. That is the song Gone Forever from the album of the same title, which came out in 2004. And I felt it was appropriate considering my conversation with J. Andrew Zalucky. We can all get back in the old time machine and remember what it was like. Uh, but I th- I thought that song is like kind of a good way to just you know put a put a little exclamation point on the conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you felt it was informative. I definitely learned some stuff. And uh, that guy is just you know you just talk to some people and like wow that guy he uh he probably studied a lot and went to classes and read books. So I want to hang out more with those people and try and steal some of their their knowledge. And it was great. I really want to thank him uh, for taking his time. And like I said, hopefully we'll get him back on and talk some politics. He forgot to mention his actual website, which is jazalucky.com. That's J-A-Z-A-L-U-C-K-Y.com. Uh, the article is called Reflecting on New Wave of American Heavy Metal. You can find that on metalinjection.net. You can find my article I wrote called This is the End, which references, um, you know, was was basically my piece that summed up my thoughts on the demise of some of the bands on my website, .coil.net. And I also forgot to thank my good friend, Blake Bunzel, uh, ex-guitar player of the band In This Moment for helping me out with some editing and audio repair. Hopefully we'll get him on the show sometime too. And yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you want to sponsor the show, hit me up on social media. If you're a band, we did not have a band sponsor this week. So hit me up and thank you guys for listening. Mamba out. Jabberjaw Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.